Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. This is C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio and uh, physician liaison for a practice here in town called Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia. Today, I'm very pleased to have you all here listening in. It's kind of, we're still in the middle of allergy season, kind of toward the end of it now. And so everybody's kind of aware that uh, maybe that uh, sometimes they're having some trouble breathing, whether it's through their nose or maybe they're having some trouble with, you know, facial pain and things like that. But uh, I'm very pleased to have the specialists that are with us today because they're going to tell us about uh, chronic sinusitis. And that's something that uh, is an inflammatory uh situation that can occur in the nasal passages and sinuses that uh, some folks may not realize is turned into a chronic problem that's going to be with them until they seek out the care from the correct specialist. And a few weeks ago on our first show, um, we were joined by Dr. Andrew Puglisi of Infectious Disease Consultants, and uh, he had recommended we uh, maybe take some time and talk about this topic because uh, as I got into the show prep here, I learned just how prevalent the, the condition is. I'm 146, at least the, the article that I read. 146 out of every thousand people. That's a lot of folks that are dealing with this problem. Uh, real quickly, before we dive in, I'll go ahead and just get a quick introduction in. Dr. Puglisi, thanks for coming back. Thank you, Charles. And uh, Dr. Faria Khan, you're of Georgia's Allergy and Asthma Institute, uh, an allergy specialist with us. Yes, yes. And we have Dr. Courtney French of the ENT Institute. Yes, thanks. Glad to be here. We're, we're really happy to have this group of people together because, once again, we're dealing with uh, a condition that can benefit, uh, if you're facing it, from potentially several several physicians of different types helping you to uh, to achieve your your best outcome. So tell me a little bit about what we're we're dealing with, Dr. Puglisi. Uh, thanks for having me back, Charlie. Um, chronic sinusitis is a very complicated disease. Um, it's not just anatomy where you can correct this problem all the time with surgery. Surgery is a very important concept here with chronic sinusitis because you always have to have adequate drainage. The problem is there's a lot of pathophysiology that goes along with chronic sinusitis and in many instances it's not addressed. And what do I mean by pathophysiology? Is the risk factors to go on that creates the inflammation up in the sinus, uh, the mucosal lining of the sinus cavities. Um, and that's where we use this multidisciplinary approach. What are some of these risk factors that we do see? One that people don't usually make an association with is reflux, gastroesophageal mm -hmm. reflux. Uh, it can damage the sinuses. The gastric juices can travel all the way up to your sinuses, damage the mucosa, create infections up in the mucosa, and then lead to a subsequent chronic problem if it's not addressed properly. Allergies, and I'm going to leave that to Dr. Khan to talk about how important allergy uh, immunotherapy is mm -hmm. and the, the importance of treating allergies in preventing and maintaining or managing uh, chronic patients with chronic sinusitis. And then another issue that is very important and is a risk factor, and we're finding more and more people are patients that may have a mild immunodeficiency that may have been inherent from birth. And if it is correct, identified and corrected, 
it can uh, make uh, patients that are suffering with chronic sinusitis for many years, their management to be a lot easier. So how does it typically flow from, you know, the patient's perspective? What, who do they tend to go to to say, doctor, I'm, I'm really kind of tired of this. I can't, I can't smell anything. I, I have a hard time breathing. Um, you know, who do they usually seek out first? Is it the primary care doctor? They usually start with the primary care doctor and have a couple of visits. And usually the flow is that from the primary care physician, they'll go to Dr. French first. Okay. So the primary care doctor will, they're kind of somewhat clued in that oh, that's mm -hmm. an ENT problem. You, you need, you know, it's involving your, your nose and sinuses. So we maybe need you to have Dr. French take a look at you. Right. Okay. In some instances where it may look predominantly like it is allergic, then, you know, sometimes they'll send them straight to Dr. Khan. Okay. So if I get to you, Dr. French, I mean, are, sure. are, is there a, a kind of a battery of things that you're going to be looking at, whether it's tests um, that, that help you identify, is this an allergic problem or, you know, tell me about that. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of it is uh, just symptomatic. Uh, you know, we kind of determine, go through a list of things, you know, what problems are they having? You know, is it uh, fevers, chills, pain, pressure? Um, moving from there to more of the allergy, kind of the realm of Dr. Khan, which would be, you know, itchy, watery eyes, sneezing, that sort of allergy problems. And then what treatment have they had in the past is pretty important because a lot of times these patients have had, you know, multiple courses of antibiotics. They've tried many different types of uh, over-the-counter allergy medicines, and generally that's when they come to us. Uh, some of them may even have had surgery before. And um, then they present to the office and they're like, well, you know, what else can we do? And that's the patients that really benefit from this multidisciplinary approach that uh, Dr. Puglisi was referring to. So what I'll initially do is just, um, and we'll go through a list of questions, see what the problems are that are bothering them the most. And then generally I'll do a, a nasal endoscopy where I'll actually look in and try and assess the structural issues and then follow that typically if they've been treated appropriately with antibiotics with a CAT scan and, and assess the uh, structural issues. So that would be one part of it. Then if those have been adequately addressed, then I'll uh, generally order a battery of tests. I'll uh, uh, do an allergy test, see if they're having problems there. I'll also uh, do a panel that tests their immune system often, and then uh, cultures, if I can, from the uh, sinuses. Once I get that information, then if they're having problems with an immunodeficiency, gamma globulin deficiency, or if they're having highly resistant bacteria, then I uh, refer them over to Dr. Puglisi, who evaluates that as well. And a lot of times these patients will have uh, such severe problems that they need to be addressed with aggressive antibiotic therapy, followed by a surgical therapy, and then maintained with uh, allergy therapy, which uh, we refer to Dr. Khan for. So are, are most of the patients that are coming for evaluation for, you know, what turns out to be chronic sinusitis, it, it sounds like their symptoms are usually pretty severe. As I was doing some reading about the you know, what are the signs and symptoms that people experience when they have chronic sinusitis that talks about things like, you know, a stuffy nose, um, maybe not necessarily with a runny nose per perhaps, but uh, facial pain, headaches that come from sinus, uh, you know, their sinuses being full of, of drainage and having a hard time uh, getting those evacuated. Um, but, you know, do you have kind of a, or do they typically come with kind of a classic set of 
of things, or is it really kind of across the board that how they'll present from a symptom perspective? Yeah, well, everybody's a little different, and it's kind of hard to sort out because people say they have problems with their sinuses. Well, that may range from just a simple obstruction problem, which is really the easiest to fix, say, a deviated septum. They may say, well, I have problems with my sinuses because I can't breathe. Well, if they've had a nasal fracture or something in the severely deviated septum, you know, that's an easily surgically correctable condition. And then you don't have to go down all the other pathways. Um, so that's what I'll evaluate. But if they have, you know, the problem where they're having, you know, yellow-green drainage um, versus clear drainage, those need to be sorted out because it could be anywhere from allergic fungal sinusitis, reflux. They may have problems with their voice or problems swallowing. Um to the itchy, watery eyes and sneezing, which goes along more with allergies. And uh, really, it's just sorting out the underlying issues that are causing the problem. Because these patients that have truly chronic sinusitis, which is defined as more than 12 weeks of a problem, mm -hmm. then you have to figure out, you know, why is there an issue? And why are they not responding to the uh, appropriate treatments? And uh, that's where, again, we have to identify what the issue is and address that problem. Since we're here in the southeast and we're we're full of grasses and flowering plants and trees of all kinds, conifers and hardwoods and everything that's obviously painting our cars and houses <laughs> yellow, uh, in that that phase of time here in at least in the Atlanta area can last for several weeks. How do you dif differentiate, you know, the person that's having just a, you know, a true allergy response to everything that we've got going on from a pollen and pollutants uh, here in the metro area perspective to that, you know, that because it's, you know, 12 week uh, kind of is our line if you've been dealing with this. So how do we kind of determine, is it your testing that you're doing uh, in the office when I come to you that says, oh, well, you're allergic to uh, this, this particular allergen and this one and this one and this one uh, that t says it's allergies versus a chronic problem. When do we, how, right. do, we, how do we pull the trigger? Well, Particularly actually, this initially, <laughs> you know, the, the majority of what you get, the information is based on the patient's history. So, you know, you go in, you talk to them, you're like, well, when do you have the problem? You know, well, oh, every March I get this issue and it lasts for, you know, you know, six weeks while the, the early spring when the trees are, are blooming or in the rest of the year, I'm fine. Or you might have a problem like, you know, well, when we have a long period where there's, uh, you know, we've had a lot of rain, well, it might be a mold issue. And uh, and we kind of time it. Or in the fall, ragweed blooms. I'm fine the rest of the year except for the fall. So that's the initial thing. And, you know, you can ob obtain a tremendous amount of information just from the history alone. And then using that, it goes back to what you just mentioned. Then we can test. And once we get the testing, then we can see, you know, based on our panel that they have, you know, certain allergies and they may be seasonal, they may be perennial, um, and we try and go from there. Mm. So that, you know, if they've been dealing with it, obviously, before the, the allergy season, per se, really hits, then that's obviously a big clue, I suppose. And right. uh, when we talked about the fact that the patient comes to your office and you're going to do some studies there, one of the ones you talked about was the nasal endoscopy. Is that mm -hmm. something that you do down, you know, is that a second visit that I need to, we schedule that or you can do it right there? No, is it's it, done right immediately the do? first uh, visit. You know, it's a very easy procedure. We use a small four millimeter uh, fiber optic scope and ah. look into the uh, nasal cavity uh, right there with a the little decongestant spray. And I can see at least the anatomical structures inside the nasal cavity, see if they have nasal polyps, which should indicate allergies or if they have, you know, purulent drainage coming from the sinuses, which would indicate more chronic sinusitis. Um, 
and any uh, other structural issues that might be a problem. And then, of course, the second level of that is the CAT scan, which gives us a view into the sinuses that can't be directly visualized. Are, are, so it shows whether their they're, they're sinuses are air-filled or fluid-filled at that point. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we, we that seems like, and everybody goes through a round of uh, allergy testing. I never really had to. I didn't deal with allergies too much. But back then, I, I remember they'd talk about they kind of poke you with a little gizmo that had the allergens on. Is that still how we do it? How do we test for allergies? It now? is. And I, uh, I can, there are several different ways and actually I probably should defer to Dr. Khan to, uh, so yeah. she could jump in here. But, um, you know, the serial endpoint titration, which is kind of the prick test is sort of a, that's a gold standard. Um, it can also be done with the, uh, um, you can do indirect tests through blood work and test for IgE levels to different things. And then there's patch testing, which can be done. Is that uh, sound correct, Dr. Khan? Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. You, you do that mm-hmm. test. You you know, you might do that test if I come to you first. And then that's when you would potentially pick up the phone and call Faria and say, hey, Dr. Khan, I've got this patient. They tested positive for this, this, and this. Could you take over their management or, you know, that kind of thing? Correct. When do I need yeah. Dr. Khan versus <laughs> Claritin D? Right. So, um, first of all, thanks for inviting me to be on the show. I'm sure. happy to be here. Um, so it is, it is complicated. I mean, going back to chronic sinusitis, um, like Dr. Puglisi mentioned, a lot of the times we do get the direct referral from the primary care um, physicians as well. And, you know, people come in, they're having headaches or facial pain or just, um, they can feel the congestion in their face. And so the primary care physician will then send them to us too directly. If it's severe enough to where they're not really getting a whole lot of relief with the -the over-the-counter medications that are available, like you mentioned, Claritin or some of the other things, um, generic names would be fexofenadine, cetirizine, things like that, Um, then, you know, they usually send uh, the patients to us to get further evaluation. And like Dr. French mentioned, you know, the history tells us a lot about whether or not it could be an allergy and then we can do testing to kind of verify that. Um, the testing is prick testing, which you mentioned. Right. It's it's a very easy, it's fast. It can be done pretty much on the same day as you come in to see me. And um, it gives a lot of information. It's a very accurate test as to whether or not you have allergies. And allergies are so prevalent in this country that it's very likely that you, you may have <laughs> one or two allergies. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, one in every three to five people in this nation that has some sort of allergy issue. So it's really, really common. So if you are having problems with your sinuses, it's definitely worthwhile coming to the allergist and trying to figure out whether that's the issue. We're talking with Dr. Faria Khan of Georgia's Allergy and Asthma Institute and uh, covering the subject of chronic sinusitis from the allergist perspective. Um how often would you say you're getting involved with a patient with chronic sinusitis? Does it typically start from an allergy, you know, response that tends to persist for a few weeks and now it kind of transitions? It just doesn't go away. The body, for whatever reason, doesn't have the capacity that it needs for that particular causative agent to overcome it as an acute problem that's just maybe a few days, few weeks long, and now it's persistent. Is that how it tends to start and that's how how we get to you or... It can be both ways, actually. Um, I will sometimes get a patient from Dr. Puglisi or Dr. French that's had an issue for a long time and they've been seeing them. And then, you know, the thought is, well, let's go ahead and evaluate for allergy too, if in case this is an underlying issue. Or it can be the other way, as you mentioned, you know, where I'm the first person to see it. 
I evaluate for allergies to see whether that's the underlying issue. And then if that's not the issue, then, you know, I kind of get the advice from Dr. French and Dr. Buglisi as to whether the patient needs to go on and get some further evaluation from ENT or infectious disease. Um, allergies are you know, pretty intimately related in some instances with chronic sinusitis. I mean, it can be mistaken for chronic sinusitis, and Dr. French kind of mentioned that a little bit. You can have a lot of inflammation in your sinuses from just being allergic to something that you're coming across, um, whether it's something that you come across all the time, more of an indoor perennial allergy, or whether it's seasonal it does end up causing inflammation within your sinuses, meaning mucus thickening or mucosal thickening of the walls of the sinuses and also mucus production. And that can lead to headaches and pressure and fatigue, and that can be confusing sometimes. Sometimes you don't know, is this a chronic sinusitis or is it just allergies or nasal allergies? So that's one way it's related. The other way it's related, which I kind of hinted at before is that it's an underlying issue, meaning that by the person having allergies and having that inflammation, the sinuses get so inflamed that sometimes they can get blocked off. You have a lot of mucus and possibly air trapped into the sinuses. And then that can become a breeding ground for viruses, bacteria, fungus. Um, also, it can just be inflammation that just keeps going and going. So the actual idea of chronic sinusitis is somewhat mysterious. Sometimes we don't always identify an organism, you know, that's causing it. So that, in that sense, allergies or nasal allergies and our underlying issues. So once that is treated, an allergy treatment is actually pretty good. It's pretty successful. It's it's simple to test for, simple to evaluate, and very good effective treatment available. So once that's done, the predisposing factor is shut off, and then people don't get as sick down the road. So in those two ways, allergies are pretty, you know, closely associated with chronic sinusitis. So we can definitely help. If I'm starting out with allergies as my problem that are kind of dragging on and now it turns into, you know, could potentially turn into chronic sinusitis. How effective are the over-the-counter type medications that one can buy? And, it, and, and from a physician's perspective, if I'm a patient and I know I'm guilty of doing this or one that does this self-medicating, oh, I just go and get this one. This one seems to make, make me be able to breathe, so I go with it. Uh, at what point do you recommend you know, something over the counter that a patient can walk into a, a drugstore and buy versus maybe something else that you would offer or prescribe, you know, from a physician perspective, the patient can't buy, you know, what do you recommend for, for managing it? If I'm having some allergies, particularly, you know, if that looks like that could be a problem I'm dealing with where we don't want it to turn into a chronic problem, is that, you know, what would you be, what would your best advice be as it relates to, you know, treating it with medicines? It really depends on the situation. Every situation is a little bit different. Um, a lot of the times my patients will come in to see me and they've already tried everything. Mm. You know, they've tried everything over the counter. They've tried every yeah. nasal spray. Their doctor, their primary care physician's already given them this and this and this. And so if that's the case, then obviously we need to do something else. You know, this is not working or maybe it's providing 20 to 30 percent benefit, but they're really not getting full benefit. And, um, you know, and then on the other side of that is if they're seeing me for the first time, they've tried nothing, then it just depends, you know, how severe are their allergies? How much are they suffering? Should we try with over the counter first and kind of see how that goes? Maybe a little trial and error. Um, so it just depends on the situation. Some people need, you know, more intense therapy at the beginning and some people don't. 
I see. Well, you know, obviously, as we talked about at the top of the show, how it's a fairly prevalent problem. And in fact, you know, several folks have sent in questions today about, uh, you know, trying to deal with, uh, you know, sinus related issues. So we'll try to get into some of that. Uh, you know, some of them we're dealing with, um, you know, treat, you know, taking medications to treat their, their, their symptoms. So I'll be interested in feedback. You know, Dr. Puglisi, you know, when I'm dealing with some sinusitis, at what point do I tend to get to you? When does somebody say you need an infectious disease person, you know, dealing with this particular issue? Um, I usually get involved when um, we start seeing some of the more strange antibacteria uh, associated with chronic sinusitis uh, when we get away from what is seen in acute sinusitis. In acute bacterial sinusitis, the three big organisms usually associated are strep pneumonia, uh, H. flu, and Moraxella catarralis. Those are the ones that are predominantly seen in acute chronic sinusitis, uh, acute, acute uh, bacterial sinusitis. In uh, chronic bacterial sinusitis, the organisms change. Uh, we see a lot more anaerobes, uh, more staph-resistant staph. I was going to um, say, so that sounds like some of the more hard-to-fight organisms like a, to move in at that point. Exactly. And one of the things that Dr. French and I have found lately is that sometimes the identification of these organisms can lead to what is the underlying cause for the patient's chronic sinusitis. Um, we see a lot of uh, gram-negative uh, and enterobacters that are uh, enteric bacteria that are from the GI tract that wind up in the sinuses like enterobacter, acinetobacter, uh, Klebsiella pneumonia. Uh, we have seen these infections in the sinuses uh, on multiple occasions over the years. And in, the, in these instances, we pretty much realized that there is reflux associated with the patient's underlying bacterial sinusitis. So we know that we're going to have to treat their reflux in order to get ahead of this chronic problem while treating the uh, bacterial component. So my, I might actually even have a gastroenterologist on my case in addition to our, our, our other yeah. specialists here. Absolutely. It is uh, – and – uh, actually, Dr. French uh, has the ability to do some res tech testing where he can test for uh, reflux um, uh, in the patient. So we can keep everything kind of consolidated in an almost one-stop shop. Save some visits. Save mm -hmm. some visits. Mm -hmm. Now, that does not mean that we may have to refer that patient to a gastroenterologist if the problem, you know, we cannot manage it adequately in, in our office. Most times we can. Uh, but uh, I think that's a really important concept. The other uh, conce uh, concern that we have when we, when me as an infectious disease specialist has to get involved uh, are some of the more resistant organisms like MRSA. We do see quite a bit uh, of MRSA chronic sinusitis. Because it likes to colonize the nasal passages anyway, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that sometimes if they have the genetic makeup to you know, go on to form uh, methicillin resistance, they may initially be just some methicillin-sensitive staph aureus. But once they've been exposed to several bouts of antibiotics, they can trigger the genetic me mechanisms inside the bacteria to create methicillin resistance. 
once you've identified that there is, in fact, a bacterial infection in the mm-hmm. sinus passages, yeah. and you're obviously able to have access to a number of you know pretty powerful antibiotics, yes. do you find that once you have identified this is part of our problem, this is you know what's causing our uh, ongoing sinus drainage uh, excess, mm-hmm. um, do you find that they tend to respond? Fairly well to a course of, of antibiotics, or you know, you know, it, what, however long that course may end up being. It, it all depends on where we are with the infection, uh, where that particular patient is. Um, sometimes orals work well, uh, but in many instances, we have to use intravenous antibiotics in order to get ahead of the infection. Wow! Because we just can't get a high enough concentration through the GI tract into the bloodstream to get up into the sinus cavities to knock out these infections. Plus, the fact is there are instances where we just don't have a good oral antibiotic to use for their particular case. Mm. Now, is this a person that's going to have to have like a PICC line, one of those semi-permanent lines put in, or just something where they just come in and do an infusion and they're able to go out? Uh, Most times it's a PICC line because we're going to go six to eight weeks of therapy. The reason why is that in most of these instances, uh, there may be an underlying osteomyelitis associated. In the sinus bones. In the sinus bones, yes. So um, once we have that, we know we're going to have to treat for a long period of time uh, because the turnover of bone is much slower than, let's say, skin or uh, mucosa. So uh, the half-life of bone cells are usually 15 days. So we know we're going to have to treat six to eight weeks in order to make sure we knock out the infection in the bone. The way I like to look at it is, let's look at it as a weed, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go in with your weed whacker, which is usually what happens when you use oral antibiotics. We'll get the superficial layers uh, to respond, but that root system or the bone is still infected and it's just going to crop up again. So now does that also, I know from, you know, just our wound practice that when we have osteomyelitis, one of the things we have to do is get the necrotic bone or the dead bone out. Do we have to do the same thing, one would presume, uh, to some degree with the sinus bones or no? Well, fortunately, because um, they're not as thick as other bone and so um, uh, usually we don't have to remove necrotic bone. I think, you know, in some instances it's happened. Uh, I can honestly tell you 20, 30 years ago, that's what they used to do with chronic sinusitis, where they would open up the skull and remove uh, the infected sinus bone. And, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fortunately, they do respond very well to intravenous antibiotics, and we're able to get ahead of it without removing uh, bone. You're listening to Top Docs Radio, and we're talking to Dr. Andrew Puglisi of Infectious Disease Consultants and uh, uh, the specialist, Dr. Faria Khan and Dr. Courtney French. We're talking about chronic sinusitis and learning about uh, the various ways we learn what it is that we have a chronic problem. Uh, and we've heard a couple of times now of different ways that we end up treating it. How frequently do we run into it being a bacterial problem versus an allergy problem versus, say, something um, environmental, just, just um, you know, whether it's... Um, pollutants of some kind, different things like that. How does how does it break down? Is it really? It's kind of tough to say, but um, the I think the thing you always have to remember when you're dealing with chronic sinusitis is that if you can maintain healthy mucosal integrity, you can stay ahead of having recurrent sinus infections or inflammation of the sinuses. Once you have a breakdown of that mucosa and either through inflammation and whatever that trigger is, if it's reflux, if it's air pollution, 
uh, allergies. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about allergic fungal sinusitis, which yeah, is a to get to that. very big problem here in the southeast. Now, is that caused by the kind of organisms that, you know, you hear about folks dealing with either in their apartments or even their houses where they have some moisture problems and, and there's, you know, they end up with some fungal infections in their, of their home. Does that, is that where the person ends up getting exposed to the fungi that caused the problem in the sinuses or um, how do they end yes, up with that? Yeah, it is, but it's not the only problem. There's a lot of mold out in this environment here in the Southeast. When we look at the Southeast, it's perfect. You got a lot of vegetation out here, high humidity. Uh, and again, I'm from the North, so this is not what I would call a winter, what we have down here. Um, you, you know, uh, my mom up in New York, I mean, there was four or five months of snow on the ground. Uh, we don't have that here. We have a lot of leaf litter. So the mold, you know, the temperature under the ground under that leaf litter, it's about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than what's the air temperature. So the mold is allowed to proliferate here throughout the whole year. Mm. Um, and it's ubiquitous. It's in the air. So you're constantly inhaling this stuff. Now, do I have patients that do have mold problems at work because of, uh, flooding or leaks? Do I have problems, uh, you know, people at their houses, the roof leak, bathroom leaks, excuse me. Do they have problems with mold in the house and they need mold remediation? Absolutely. But it usually goes beyond that. It's what we find in the atmosphere also here in, in the southeast. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Um, yeah, mold is just like Dr. Puglisi said. It is everywhere. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of species of mold. So, you know, people tend to think of, as you mentioned, the mold in the house right. and, oh, I've got black mold on my wall and right. I had flood damage. But that's not necessarily where their issues are coming from. There's mold just like Dr. Puglisi said in the dead vegetation, in the soil, um, indoors that you can't see. And just like he said, the spores, it's the little mold spores that are floating around in the air. They're microscopic. You can't see them with your naked eye. In fact, um, I read a report once that that that's actually the most abundant thing in our air is mold spores. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd probably be very yes. troubled to know all the things I'm breathing right now. And that exactly. was the question I was getting ready to ask when, when, when you spoke up was that just because I don't have what appears to be an obvious mold problem in my home or my business, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're not being, you know, A, we're all being exposed apparently uh, quite quite frequently and heavily uh, with exposure to mold. But I guess it, it just much much like our allergic response to pollen, it, it's kind of a individual thing as to whether or not my body has the the elements needed in my exactly. immune system to be able to com combat mold landing in my nose. Well, usually, Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, the cation protein, eosinophil cation protein that's found in the uh, mucosa of the nasal passages that once the mold interacts with it, it just sets off a cascade of inflammatory changes. Um, one of the things that also has to be remembered about this is that allergic fungal sinusitis usually can create a secondary bacterial infection. So you, 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 in many instances, we wind up treating both at the same time. We're trying to get rid of the bacterial infection while addressing the allergic fungal sinusitis. Um, in a recent paper that I read, it just came out of one of the teaching hospitals in, down in Florida. They actually have shown that some people that have allergic fungal sinusitis, that the severity could be that they actually begin to get some mucosal involvement 
uh, and these are otherwise healthy individuals except for the allergic fungal sinusitis. They're not the patients with advanced AIDS that are getting invasive fungal disease. They're not uh, patients, severe diabetics like that have mucormycosis sinusitis, which, you know, we hear about and read about in our textbooks. Uh, these are he otherwise healthy individuals mm -hmm. that actually are beginning to show signs of mucosal invasion. So uh, we know in those instances, we need to be much more aggressive in our therapy with an antifungal agent along when we're treating the bacterial infection. So when it comes to testing, we, we talked uh, with Dr. French earlier about some of the things you're going to do when I walk into your office. We're going to do some allergy testing potentially. Obviously, you're going to visualize the, the nasal passages and to some extent the sinus passages when I'm there. Can you see kind of like, you know, when you have tinea, an, an infection on your foot or, you know, or jock itch, as they say, you know, you can see a fungal infection in some parts of your skin. You see some changes. Do you see visually any changes inside the the, the tissues, inside the, the passages um, when you Sometimes, that? actually, yes. Um, one thing that you can see frequently with allergic fungal sinusitis is the development of nasal polyposis and uh, these overgrowths of normal uh, tissue that block off the nasal passageways, they'll be surrounded by this kind of thick, nasty-looking, really uh, inspissated mucus that oftentimes we can culture fungus from. Mm -hmm. um, also, in patients that have had surgery before but still have this problem, um, you can actually directly visualize into the sinuses themselves, and it'll they'll actually grow fungal balls, we call them mycetomas, They're, they actually form this mass there that um, uh, becomes very difficult to remove. And actually, you know, mechanical debridement or surgery is sort of, in that case, the first line of defense um, uh, after they've, but really you can't, and this is kind of what we're trying to uh, educate our patients with is that, you know, this chronic sinusitis, especially with allergic fungal sinusitis, is not a um, a single thing that you can do. And I think a lot of people come into the office and they see Dr. Khan or they see Dr. Piglisi or they see me and they, you know, well, you're a surgeon, so you yeah, just go in there, you cut it out and everything's yeah. going to be fine. Right. Or you, you know, do allergy shots and everything's going to be fine. But in reality, what it takes is is typically a series of progression. A lot of times what we'll do, and this is just an example of something that with very difficult patients, I'll see them and I'll get an idea. And a lot of times I can tell from the CT scan, even um, an indication for allergic fungal sinusitis, there are changes that you can note there. I will consult Dr. Paglisi. He will start them on antibiotics and antifungals. They'll be on those for, you know, a couple of three weeks calms down the mucosal inflammation and damage, then I'll go in and at that point I'll open the sinuses, make sure the natural drainage pathways are more open, and then I'll mechanically debreed that because what happens is not only do you form uh, fungal balls, uh, fungal debris, you can also develop these films called biofilms where these bacteria become stuck to the sidewalls. And so I'll actually wash these sinuses out, try and clear as much of that get culture surgically, which is the ideal type of culture, and then we see what we're dealing with. Then Dr. Briglisi will continue uh, postoperatively the antibiotics, which gives them, you know, the best chance of success. And then I explain that, you know, for maintenance of this, you have to control your body's response to the fungus, which is, you know, there's fungus, we're all exposed to it, but it's just those 
unfortunate people that respond poorly, their bodies, you know, become inflamed when they're, uh, when they're exposed to it, they have the problem. That's where, you know, Dr. Khan and her allergy, uh, um, uh, expertise comes into uh, play because if you ignore any one of these three, then you're going to be back. You might get temporarily better with uh, IV antibiotics. You might get a little better with allergy medication. Surgery might make you better for a little while, but if you're going to manage it, it's almost like having diabetes. You know, you can't ignore it. You can't not take your medicines. You can't eat whatever you want. It's a lifelong problem. And the patients just really need to be educated that, you know, this is not a one surgery, one antibiotic fix. You have to just realize that. And you can actually manage it very, very well um, from that And that's uh, a, knowledge. A, a question I was getting ready to ask, uh, you know, and you, you, you kind of answered my question there. We're talking with Dr. French about chronic sinusitis. So I was going to ask you if um, a sinusitis problem turns into what we're you know, defining as chronic sinusitis, you're saying that it's it's essentially like diabetes or some other chronic disease. I don't. It's it's not chronic just because it lasted more than three months. It's it's actually now it's converted to chronic. So I'm I'm going to do some ongoing management. Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. From now on, now that it's converted to that sort of chronic problem. Right. And just as people, you know, they're you know thousands of people that have diabetes that it doesn't impact their life at all. Their blood sugar is well controlled. You know, they live their a normal life. You can do the same thing with chronic sinusitis, but you just have to realize that if you don't take these steps or these precautions, that you're going to be back where you were before. And um, I just think that's a really important point that patients need to understand mm-hmm. when they come in and they're dealing with this problem that, you know, initially, what we do is we typically see them when they've gotten to that end road. You know, they're just like, they're miserable. They 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 just can't manage it with the typical treatments that you get. And at that point, we're very aggressive at getting ahead of it. But the long-term management, like I said, it really takes uh, all of that to, uh, to get it under control. But once you do, you know, you can really uh, get your life back, so to speak. One of the questions that came to us through Twitter from uh, your cake maven uh, says, you know, and it's when I would direct this question at you probably because some of the things that I was reading, there's a number of different treatments that we can do. Some of them, as you talked about, Dr. Khan, that we can do from home, whether it's uh, over the counter medications and things like that. But uh, I noticed in the in reading a little bit about the topic that it talked about. Uh, sinus or nasal irrigation, and and that's what uh, uh, this listener uh, asked: is are neti pots a safe alternative to nasal sprays, and when should you use one if you should? Yes, actually, I'm a big fan. Um, nasal saline is is a fantastic uh, uh, you know home remedy, if you will, uh, especially with patients that have uh, chronic uh, allergy suffering, um, because what it does is is it it sort of rinses a lot of the uh, um, allergens and irritants from the nasal passageways. It promotes healthy lining, the cilia that sweep all of these out of the uh, nasal passageways. It helps uh, clear that. So, you know, I pretty much use them whenever you like and uh, whenever you feel like there's a little mucus. And what I tell patients, especially ones that have, um, that we have identified problems with uh, allergies, like with, you know, mold or, uh, or grass or whatever, if they've been outside, if they've been gardening, I mean, the first thing you do when you come inside is rinse your nose because if you do that, it's just like you're washing the concentration of these allergens out. 
And um, sometimes you can even prevent it getting so bad that it leads to a chronic sinus or, or an acute sinus infection because if you prevent that inflammation, it keeps the natural drainage pathways and the sinuses open, and uh, that helps uh, keep that uh, cycle of bacteria building up and blockage of the sinus passageways out. So, yes, I'm a to long answer to a short question. But no, yes, that's, that's great. It. And if I'm going to and have that's... one, um, I've you know I've heard different you know opinions about keeping them clean and what you should do to maintain you know this device that you're going to use for irrigation. Obviously, you don't want to wash out the allergens and instill a nice load of uh, bacteria. So how do I keep <laughs> right, it clean? Right. Well, the ideal thing is actually using distilled water um, in the uh, in the preparation. Okay. Uh, distilled water has very few irritants. Uh, you know, other p- people can use other things, but I found that to be most successful. And then really wash them in the dishwasher, get two or three okay. of the bottles and, and alternate them. Because, okay. uh, you know, if you don't, you're exactly right. Uh, you'll start to reinfect, especially the tip, which is the most important part of that. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of other questions as well. Let me get down here to them here in, um, in Twitter. Um, Listener Gail Rose asked, can daily use of sinus Advil cause rebound effect like sprays can? Yes. Yes, it can. Um, And that's particularly true if there's a decongestant in there, which it sounds like it is. Um, Most of your over-the-counter medications that have some name and then D behind it Mm -hmm. means that there's a decongestant. And decongestants are kind of a double-edged sword. Um, They can help at the beginning if you have a cold, which, you know, a normal cold doesn't usually last past 7 to 10 days. So if you're using a decongestant maybe 3 or 4 days during that time, then that's fine. It'll probably help clear your nasal passages out. Um, So short-term use is okay for decongestants. For orals. Orals and also – now, orals – you have issues with possibly decongestants raising your blood pressure right. and also causing prostate problems for, really? for some people. Yeah, so. so they can cause some prostate swelling? Is that what you're saying? Or Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, and is some that urinary a, retention and things like that. Is that a while you're taking it kind of problem? And then as I take the medication away, Off, the effect of that away. can reduce that? Exactly, okay, That's exactly. interesting to know. And then, of course, you were talking about... Um, you were kind of combining the use of sprays into your medication advice there. Uh, Facebook uh, follower Kathy Gerard asked, why is it dangerous to use nasal sprays for very long? So nasal sprays with decongestants, which would be what we call topical decongestants, that's like... Afrin spray. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So that can cause... (laughs) (laughs) That can cause a rebound. And we see that a lot, we being mainly Dr. French and I. And what Um, is rebound? Rebound is where, in a nutshell, you actually get worse using it instead of getting better. I've it been causes there. worse. I know what it is. Loaded question. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> after three to five days, for some people, you know, you start using it the sixth day or the fifth or sixth day. Right. And when it comes back, it's much worse than before. And Absolutely. so you kind of get it's yourself terrible. trapped. All of a into sudden, you're just cycle. like, <laughs> can't breathe at all through exactly. my nose. It's so you shouldn't use those types of things for long. Now, steroid nasal sprays, which are your mainstream nasal sprays for allergies, they're not as harmful, not in this way, because it's a different medication. It's localized. So a lot of the steroid in the medication is not really getting into your bloodstream. A little bit is, but not a whole lot. So you don't have the huge risks of 
getting high blood pressure, getting diabetes, um, those types of things. Are those, those the ones with the steroid, are they over the counter as well? There's one that recently um, has been approved to be over the counter. Okay. So yeah, we have one available now over the counter. I got you. And so what you would do is you, you would suggest that if a patient comes to you, you would make that recommendation at that point. Don't necessarily yeah, say, go to Walgreens on... and pick up a bottle of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the one over-the-counter steroid nasal spray is available, so that can be tried, you know, by anybody walking to the pharmacy. But, yeah, for topical decongestants like Afrin, like you mentioned, that is a no-no past three to five days. You okay. can use it for a cold short term, but, you know, after that it gets to be And it certainly sounds like problem. for our chronic problem doesn't really sound like something I'm really going to be wanting to use very much. I'll be using some other things, either taking my antibiotics or you be prescribing medications and treatments along the way that would probably be more effective and less risky for me to have other problems related to my medicine. So we've been talking to the specialist today about chronic sinusitis, and as as I'm always amazed, our time is going by. So before we before we go, I, I wanted to go around the table real quickly and and just try to get some points for the audience, whether it's a physician that may be listening, but uh, particularly for the audience member who may be either their loved one or they are dealing with, uh, you know, is this a problem? There's a chronic problem that I need to be seen. So I'll start with you, Doctor Pugliese, and we'll go around the the room. What what you know, takeaway messages would you really like to drive home for somebody who's, I've been dealing with some stuffiness, it's been going on for a little while, you know, what would you advise them to do? Um, I would advise them to come and see our group because I really do feel that we have a great model in how to manage this chronic complex problem. Uh, the take-home message I would give to anybody that has uh, chronic sinusitis or they have a loved one is that um, we have to tailor the therapy and management to the individual patient. And I think that's where we really excel. Uh, we look at all the different aspects. If there is reflux, if there is allergic fungal sinusitis, if there is an underlying immunologic problem, if there are, uh, if there is an allergic component, allergic rhinitis, uh, we tailor their therapy management to that individual so that they can go on and as Dr. French had alluded to, like diabetes, where it's not impacting their lives and that they can go on and uh, take care of, you know, basically live a normal life yet have this chronic problem but manage it effectively. So if I'm not fortunate enough today to be in your care, I'm already going to somebody and I've been dealing with it for a long time and maybe I haven't seen an ENT, I'm an allergist or I'm at one of these types of specialties that we're talking to today and I have not been recommended. So maybe you should go and see Dr. So-and-so. Do you, you would you suggest that they're getting some other eyes on their case, not just relying on this one particular type of physician or this one particular physician, even if I really like them. Absolutely. It's very good advice to go, particularly if this problem's going on, to mm -hmm. be seen by maybe another type of specialist, such as allergy or ENT or infectious disease, if, if I'm yeah. not already seeing one of those. Right. Okay. Yes. How about you, Dr. Khan? What would you say to the, to the patient listening? This is something I really think you need to, to pay attention to uh, as it relates to your... So, um, you know, definitely, again, just because allergies are so prevalent, <laughs> you've got a pretty good chance of having it if you suspect that you might have it, um, especially with this particular topic today with sinusitis. So if you feel like your sinuses are always kind of stopped up or mm -hmm. even your nose is stopped up or runny nose, 
you have a pretty good chance of having some underlying allergies. So definitely coming to the allergist and getting an evaluation is a good idea. And doing so, you might actually be able to head off turning it into yes, a chronic problem. Exactly. You might be able to reduce the symptoms or, or the exposure or response to whatever's causing it such exactly. that it doesn't turn into a lifelong problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yep, great. That's well, how about right. you, Dr. Friend? Yeah, you know, and it kind of goes with what Dr. Puglisi said. You know, I mean, surgeons are the worst at this, but there's a saying, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I understand. So, uh, you know, and, and I admit, you know, that, that our profession has gotten that. But, I mean, surgery, you know, certainly is an important part of this. But generally, if you have seen a near nose and throat doctor, um, you want someone that is aware that there are limitations to what you can do with that and that would employ the assets that they have of, you know, an allergy specialist, an infectious disease specialist, and um, realize that this is a complex problem that's not fixed by any one particular method in all cases. And like Dr. Puglisi says, you really have to um, tailor this to the individual patient because, you know, not everybody read the same textbook. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it it, it really, uh, it really has to be an individual approach. And, uh, and just uh, manage that way. But there is certainly hope, uh, you know, for people that have had this problem for a long time, and uh, it just has to be uh, addressed appropriately in in a logical manner. I know your group has um, a presence online, both the website and some social media. So tell me how I can link up with you and get some information online. uh, If you just go to entinstitute.com, you know, you can uh, look at our website. There are links to a Twitter feed and also a Facebook. And, uh, you know, we can find all of our uh, locations there. And uh, you know, it's the easiest way to, to uh, start. How about you, Dr. Kahn? So I'm with Georgia's Allergy and Asthma Institute. Um, we share space with the ENT Institute. Um, mm-hmm. Our website is www.ga-aai.com. Okay. So uh, they can get more information there. Are you all on, on Facebook as well? We are not, but we're working on it. <laughs> okay, because I'm, I'm, I make sure I link up with all of our guests. I'm already linked up with the ENT Institute and, of course, Dr. Puglisi. Um, how about you, Dr. Puglisi? What is your presence online? Uh, my presence online is I have a blog, uh, sinusblogmd at sinusblog.com. Uh, I mean, at blogspot.com, I'm sorry. Uh, you can you could reach me through that, leave a question, or... Um, you can contact me at my office. Uh, my office phone number is 678-990-1383. Obviously, as I mentioned, I link up with all of our guests, and we've got a couple of uh, sites to to have you learn for our contact information. Of course, for the show, we're on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Our Facebook page is also Facebook slash Top Docs on BRX. Um, we um, are also our physicians group can be located at hbomdga.com on Facebook at hbomdga and then of course the same thing on Twitter at hbomdga so you can link up with us we try to uh, keep people informed about uh, information that's being put out by our guests so if you link up with us you're probably going to get information from everybody that's been here on the show um, and then certainly you can you know uh, from us navigate to our guests and hopefully uh, tie tie up with them on social media because I, as I've you know begun doing this. I've been pleased with all the great information, both from uh, functions in the community that people can go to to learn more and participate, um, as well as just logging in into Facebook and getting some great articles and information that uh, that our, our guests have put out there. So take advantage of that. 
thank everybody for uh, making Top Docs Radio a part of your day. And in particular, thank you very much to these three specialists who've taken time out of their busy patient schedules. It's a big deal when doctors come and take time to uh, get this information out to the community. So for me, I just want to say thank you all very, very much for uh, coming to uh, share this important information. And uh, I'm very happy to be able to help you get the word out. We'll see you here next week. Thank you. Thank you. 